Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life, to banish the years of yo-yo dieting, heal your relationship with food, make lifelong changes to your health by learning evidence-based nutritional techniques with self-compassion, mindfulness and behaviour change to feel more accepting and confident both in your mind and your body. We'll likely be adding a little bit of feminism, some sass and some humour along the way. I hope you enjoy and thank you for tuning in. Happy Friday. I hope you're all having a fabulous, fabulous little shorter week. Shorter week, right? And it's one of those weeks where it's like, oh, well, I've only got four days to do things now. So it means I've got to be hella productive. And with that, you'd sort of get out of your own way, right? Well, that's me anyway. <laughs> um, have I got much to tell you this week? I did cry over spilt milk. I did. I did. So I don't know about anybody else, but in my luteal phase, I am so clumsy, so clumsy. I can literally find myself smashing bowls by accident. Like I just drop things. I randomly find things in different places that they're not usually kept. I'm like, where's the spatula? It's in the fridge. No, it's not really the fridge, but it's like in a different cupboard. But this week, in my luteal phase, I went to make myself a decaf coffee because for whatever reason, it's been a little bit chilly this week. Went to make myself a decaf. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get the oat milk out of the fridge because I love oat milk. You know that. Well, I hadn't put the lid on properly. So I went to shake it. And it went everywhere. All over the kitchen. And I cried. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. But... Just saying this, after that good cry, I had a really productive day. I was like, maybe this is what I need to do every day. Just have a little cry, get everything out, and then we're okay. You know? Um, oh, and interesting about beauty spotting this morning, right, that I put in the group. It was a concept that I learned about many years ago now from the ETPHD coaching which you all know that I absolutely love and I'm now mentored by Amelia and I have so much respect for her she is incredible incredible and beauty spotting it is incredible so having a conversation with Andrew last night and he was asking me about the photos that I take every morning like a sunrise or just being outside and I realized that I never really explained why I take those photos and you look at my camera roll and there is thousands and thousands and thousands of photos and now um something that I've done for many many years is this beauty spotting whereby if you see something well I do see something each and every day that I spend a couple of minutes just being mindful about <clears throat> I really appreciate it I show a lot of gratitude to that and I take a photo of it and I then put it in um, an album within my phone and it just helps you firstly see how insignificant we are in this world because nine times out of ten what you're taking a picture of is bigger than you like it is something outside or it's something perhaps like on holidays a memory where 
it's not about your weight and your shape. You're not taking selfies in front of the mirror in your underwear as progress photos and putting them into your gratitude album or your beauty spotting album. No, it's maybe you and your partner smiling. It's maybe you eating a delicious meal in Ibiza where you were fully immersed in the situation and the moment and you can remember exactly how that rosé tasted or maybe it's you cuddling your dog and you're feeling your dog and, and you know, it just helps you see how insignificant your body is in this world. And one of the most profound ways of spending less time focusing on your body is finding joy in life. Because if you have no joy or purpose, you're just going to focus on your body. And then you will live a life of dissatisfaction. And you will constantly be thinking about the next diet and changing your body weight and shape. But when you start to find joy in life, when you start to find purpose in life and you start to see these things that are huge in the world, you see how insignificant you are. If I'm ever having a really tough day, I just look up in the sky and I'm like, yep. And that's why I love the ocean. Like the ocean is huge. And if you can get me in the sea, that's it, I'm done. And I'm like, yeah, you're so small in the ocean, right? So I recommend everybody does that. And I've set you all a goal this weekend. And I think you will love it. You really, really will. And just it incorporates more mindfulness. And we do now still go around at 300 miles an hour. Right. Everything like, oh, what have I got to do next week? What have I got to do? What that I've got that to do? I've got that to do. I've got that to do. I've got that to do. How about we just have a little presence? And this just taking a picture helps you be present and like I know when I take a photo in the morning, I am stood still taking the photo and I'm feeling the air on my skin and I can acknowledge the temperature if I'm feeling warm from the sun or if I'm taking a picture of Edith, I'm literally, I will sit with her and take a photo and it only takes a couple of minutes and we have 1,440 minutes in our day and just spending a couple of minutes being mindful, showing some gratitude, that will change your life. You will be more present. And then when you are feeling overwhelmed, when you are feeling anxious, frustrated, aggravated, and I know that I use my album when I'm out and maybe things are feeling a little bit out of sorts and I'm, I can feel that I'm going into my fight or flight mode, I look at my album and I'm like, okay, I just need to be grounded. It's a soothing technique for me. So much like box breathing, um, like much like gratitude, reflection, journaling, you're not always going to be able to have those things at hand but you're looking at soothing, you're looking at um, bringing your nervous system back down to a place of regulation. And for me, that is one of the things that supports it. So yeah, can't wait to see all of your beauty spotting. Anyway, let's get started because I'm just rumbling now. Again, as always, you know, get the girl a waffle. <laughs> right, cool questions. Um, I was just wondering if you still overeat sometimes or whether you always know when you're full because I try the hunger scale but I'm still unsure when I'm truly full realistically speaking you will overeat at times <laughs> physiologically we were designed to overeat that's how our ancestors survived there will be times when you overeat because food is simply delicious there will be times when you overeat maybe you're out socially there will be times when you wonder eat and I actually put a reel out this morning about scales and people weighing their food I think there is this misconception in society whereby people think you get new calories every day you don't 
Energy balance isn't static. Energy balance doesn't work like that. It changes based on so many different factors. Your movement, the thermic effect of feeding, sleep, like hormone imbalances, chapters in your life, so many things affect energy balance. And the challenge that people have is then the is then the focus on these external sort of tools, my fitness pal, weighing scales as a way of giving themselves validation to eat. Like, okay, I need to make sure that I'm weighing 40 grams of oats to give myself permission then to eat this. So then you're never able to connect back to your body and acknowledge what fullness feels like to you. Fullness is so subjective. Nobody knows what your fullness feels like, but the likelihood is you've spent a myriad of years restricting your food disconnected from your body and therefore you're struggling to recognize what actual comfortable fullness is and a lot of the time I see with females is that they fear eating to fullness because they think if they eat to fullness they're going to gain weight so they're not able then to acknowledge what fullness feels like so it's sitting with the hunger scale and it's like repetition it's repetition like every time you're eating but bringing in mindfulness in terms of your eating habits and behaviors when you are looking at your fullness it's like if you are eating whilst you're driving if you are eating in front of the telly if you are eating with distraction whilst you're on a call to your boss and writing an email you are never going to be able to acknowledge what fullness is so it's then bringing in some mindful eating cues. So like, are you slowing down your pace of eating? Really slowing down your pace of eating. And there's a really cool concept called the mindful raisin, where you take two minutes to eat a raisin. And it is a long time and I've tried to do it. <laughs> I've tried to do it a few times. But the mindful raisin then helps you really know what that tastes like, really know what that feels like when you're, you're chewing it and acknowledge how that feels when you're digesting it. If you're slowing down your pace of eating, you're really chewing your food. When you're really chewing your food, then you're able to acknowledge what that food is feeling like as you are digesting it. Checking in with any emotions, checking in with any thoughts beforehand. Is that helpful or is that hindering? Where does that come from? Taking your time to write your meal. So pausing like halfway through and just having a minute like, OK, how do I feel now? How do I feel now? How much more do I think I can eat? Removing distraction where possible, not scrolling on your phone whilst you're eating because the neurological pathways through to the brain aren't going to be able to acknowledge what you are doing. So then you've just eaten a massive meal, but you're still hungry, but you weren't paying attention to it. So now your hunger regulation is off whack. And it's about, this is getting into more intuitive style of eating. So you're in the exploration phase. And to just consider one thing that, with intuitive style of eating, you might fluctuate a little bit more with your scale weight as you start to reestablish these cues and you start to reestablish the connection back to yourself. That's completely normal, but that's where most people give up and you shouldn't be giving up there if you want to come away from tracking your calories and building connection back to yourself, coming away from weighing food, coming away from all of these external apps as a way of giving yourself permission to eat. Like Realistically speaking, when you're 70, do you want to look back and be like, yeah, I'm still tracking in calories, I'm still weighing food, I'm still hyper-focused on, on, on that, or do you want to be able to connect back to yourself? And this is where as well like yoga comes in, because yoga builds a mind-body connection. It's really, really powerful in doing so. 
And of course, like breathing, when you're focusing just on your breath, you're focusing on your on, on how that feels in you. So all of this is about feeling, isn't it? As opposed to conforming to diet culture, whereby you're told to just be smaller and you're told to just look a certain way and doing so by just restricting and eating 15 sins, so many points, 1200 calories. Yeah. So it's connecting back to yourself, understanding what that feels like for you. Okay. How many times a week do I need to train in order to build muscle? Three to four. Three to four. When we're looking at hypertrophy training, muscle building, we need to be creating adequate amount of stimuli over the body in order to progress. When you go to the gym, you don't build muscle mass. You create small little micro tears within the muscle. It sounds brutal, <laughs> but in essence, you're like ripping the muscle. And it's what you do outside of that that is indicative of the growth, repair and recovery. So making sure you're getting enough protein in your diet, making sure you're getting enough um, leucine, which is the trigger of muscle protein synthesis. That's one of the nine essential amino acids. So you'll hear me talk to a lot of you about making sure your first meal of the day, ideally, has got around 30 grams of protein in and that's to help turn on muscle protein synthesis, which is then going to help with the growth, repair and recovery of your muscle. Making sure you get an adequate rest as well, because training is a stress on the body, even though it's a great stress on the body. And it's something that is so, so, so important. You can't be you're not building muscle mass doing seven sessions a week. You're not because you're exhausted and your body needs time to repair. You've got to be targeting the muscles over a certain amount of reps sets per week which is why a lot of you will see now i program you full body workouts so that you're getting the most in terms of your stimuli think of it a bit like this in terms of muscle building we've got a switch so like a um a light switch muscle is so protective it's protective of your metabolic health your anabolic some anabolic resistance and mitigation as we age it's protective of things like osteoporosis, sarcopenia, frailty as we're aging. It's supported hugely of the menopause, hugely. I cannot express that enough. Having muscle mass is so, is so, so, so important. And you'll see that now people who have aged and perhaps haven't focused on protein, especially as women, because they were, they were scared of protein and they were scared of resistance training. They're all saying now, oh, I'm saggy, I'm saggy, I'm saggy. And they're holding more body fat. <clears throat> so if you had two individuals that were say like 60 kilos, they would have completely different, you know, like completely different shapes. If one was say a resistance trained individual and one just implemented a diet and just focused on calories because the resistance trained individual would be focusing on protein, focusing on training, the stimulation and the rest. Whereas the, the, the second individual was perhaps just followed like slimming world and just reduce their energy intake. But if you're reducing your energy intake and you're not focusing on resistance training and protein, your body is going to use muscle mass because muscle mass is more metabolically efficient than body fat. So then you lose lean tissue. Like you can mitigate it to an extent by eating enough protein and training enough, but it is inevitable that you will lose a little bit of lean tissue. So they will hold completely different shapes one will have less body fat more muscle mass one will probably have more body fat less muscle mass so with 
the muscle building think of it like okay there's going to be weeks where maybe you're just looking to maintain the adaptation that you've created because maybe commitments are wildly high and you're going on holiday as an example to maintain the adaptation that you have created you need to be doing it like two sets two sessions per week so then you're just dimming down the switch but if you're looking to build muscle mass, you can turn up the switch and you turn up the switch by doing like three to five sessions per week. And that way it's like, OK, what can I navigate the minute? Some weeks it might just be that I'm sitting at maintaining this adaptation that I've created. Some weeks I'm able to really turn it up and really progress here. But ideally, we're looking at at least three sessions per week with full body stimuli and making sure that you're targeting them under different reps, different tempos. And that's why all of your programming is done on a very individual level. And it's done to make sure that you are getting the most out of your training sessions. Um, next one. Long one. So I have friends and family in distinctly smaller bodies than me who describe their body fat as disgusting and say they'd cry or be disgusted if they were in a bigger body. How can I address this with them or is it something I need to deal with and process myself? That's internalized weight bias. An internalized weight bias is the notion that if we are smaller, like women need to be smaller, women need to look a certain way, women need to be a certain weight in order to be accepted. Forms very much of the patriarchal messaging whereby women are told not to take up much space. The women and the people around you that are describing their body fat as disgusting are projecting outwardly their insecurities about their body. They're saying they'd cry or be disgusted if they were in a bigger body is because they associate being bigger with being less than, less attractive, less worthy. That's their internalized weight bias. They're not able to see the functionality of their body. There's no acceptance of their body. And unfortunately, that is now being put outwardly. And there's nothing wrong with holding body fat. Body fat is protective. We need body fat. But the issue comes with what they believe about body fat. And their belief about body fat is that, that they're probably not lovable that then nobody will like them because they probably believe their whole existence on this planet is about their weight and shape, how they look. In terms of addressing it with them, it depends on how that affects you. If that affects you, whereby if you're sat there thinking, Right, okay, well, I need to lose weight then. I need to conform. I need to fall in suit and I need to lose weight and diet straight away because body fat is disgusting. If that is your response to it, then a boundary needs to be put in place immediately. Whereby you then acknowledge to your friends and family that you don't want to be engaging in those conversations and you would appreciate it if they were to talk about those conversations they didn't do so in your presence and then acknowledging your 
relationship with your body and where you're at in your journey. If you're not triggered by it, you can still use the same boundary and acknowledge to your friends and family that, again, you just don't want to be exposed to that sort of narrative, that sort of language and that sort of talk. And I sent an email out this morning, actually, because on Sunday we went to a family party and somebody in a healthy body weight and shape was talking about fat dissolving injections, fat dissolving injections, because she thought that if she went from a size 10 to a size eight, she would get more attention from males. And I was listening to this conversation and I wasn't triggered at all because I'd worked through my body image. I became triggered when I heard it being projected outwardly to other women to do the same thing, which then I did have to say something because that's, that's, uh, that's really, a really poor, it's a really poor projection, but it also impacts women's relationships with themselves. And I think in society now, we just don't have the awareness of what our bodies do for us. The very fact that we're able to experience the things because of our bodies, the very fact that our bodies allow us to do things like you can walk in your body, your body can breathe, it can see, it can hear. But yet we bash our bodies, we hate our bodies, we criticize our bodies. So I think with this question in particular is addressing what you feel like in that situation. And first addressing that and always going at it with a boundary. And whether that boundary is you, it's to start changing the subject. So I spoke about boundaries quite a lot on the recent, recent podcasts and recent lives. So whether you just think, right, okay, if they're going to be talking about that, just change the subject or just explaining that you don't want to be involved in that sort of language and then you've also got potentially the capacity to invite their curiosity into their relationship with their body whereby we know that body image is not how we look our body image is based on how we act think and feel towards our body so how these people feel about their body they're then acting in a way that is malicious it is malicious to their body isn't it but you can then help them maybe explore what a body image is. So maybe sending them a couple of podcasts. Like I, I've got a podcast on self-objectification and body image. So maybe if you're hearing them talk about this, just be like, oh, that I've heard this really cool podcast that I think might help you or that might support you in this. And then you send that across to them so that they invite, you invite their curiosity into it then, but you do so in a way that is protective of them. I think one of the first things to do is not push them down because whilst it's really difficult not to this is their insecurities it's just being projected outwardly so they do feel so disconnected from their body and it's the psychological strain isn't it that again it's not quantifiable but I completely get that so there's a few things to take into consideration there I don't think I've given a definite answer but I'd first be probably journaling about how you feel in that language. Like, how does that make you feel about your body? And is that then your internalized weight bias that we've all done? Like I have done it, that we've all had internalized weight bias. Internalized weight stigma is those in a larger body that then project that outwardly. Weight bias is something that we all have, let's be honest. But it's now whether that internalized misogyny is projected outwardly. And I have got a podcast on that as well, actually. Um. 
how to implement in the moment tactics with lots of people around when you're feeling the urge to eat. Like, I can't sit with it because there's lots of people around. Okay. So it was like what I said at the beginning, right? Because usually in this, we'd perhaps use like box breathing or a prolonged exhale. Like a prolonged exhale is the one that's really going to help regulate your nervous system, bring up that parasympathetic nervous tone, downregulate your sympathetic nervous response which is then going to help with that smidgen bit of clarity that we need in that moment to make a decision with a little bit more awareness. But maybe you feel like that's quite out of reach for you. So there are other things that you can do in terms of nervous system regulation to bring up that parasympathetic and just soothe you a little bit in that moment. Your gratitude album, like everybody has their phones on them nowadays, don't they? So maybe that might help soothe you. But things like... um, running your hands under cold water. So that's just about bringing some conscious awareness to the moment. <clears throat> so if you're like washing your hands, like people love to wash their hands nowadays since COVID, which is great. It's all about hygiene. So maybe you could wash your hands as a way of just bringing that conscious mind to the forefront. Or even now, like I said, like in terms of your phone, everyone's on their phone now, right? Everyone. Um, so maybe you could just take your phone and go outside. Uh, just for a couple of minutes, go to the bathroom and do a couple of minutes breathing with that prolonged exhale. Like it, it doesn't have to be 15 minutes of meditation when there's lots of people around and you've got the urge because it's about surfing the urge, right? And surfing the urge does take 30 minutes. But at the minute, what we're looking to do is just implement some nervous system regulation and bring you back down to a place of equilibrium with that amount of clarity. So you're not going to have 30 minutes to sit there and breathe through it but you're going to be able to do something to help you in that moment. And that could look like washing your hands. It could look like jumping on your phone and looking at your gratitude album. It could look like going outside and just doing a couple of of, um, longer exhales, going to the bathroom, doing some longer exhales to then help you in that moment with the clarity that you need. Um. Um, I oh another one like that. I have the awareness in the moment now, but I can't bring myself to journal in the moment. Instead, I just eat. How to help myself do things that aren't eating? I think firstly consider that you're not going to journal. Like journaling is great, but it's not necessarily an in the moment strategy because shockingly not everybody's got the capacity to journal in the moment like journaling is really important for like reflection it's really important for setting your intentions it's powerful in building confidence and self-esteem self-worth it's not something you probably do in the moment like in the moment strategies they've got to be quick because when you're going to eat I mean, the first thing here is that you've got self-awareness. You cannot change a behavior until you've got self-awareness. And I think this is where people go wrong massively and that they're like, oh, I'll just remove the food. I'll avoid the food because that's my trigger. When in reality, there's a behavior that's being undertaken that's taking you to that food. And that's coming from some dysregulation, maybe emotional dysregulation, maybe difficulty sat with boredom, you know, these sort of things. Avoiding the food, removing the food. 
it's like putting a plaster on a wound without cleaning it first. It's You're never going to get to the root cause of the problem. But what you've got to be able to do in this situation is take you out of autopilot that you're currently running on and you probably have done for a, a myriad of years. And that looks like bringing you back down to a place of equilibrium in the moment. So you're probably now like every time you're bored, you're going to get the chocolate biscuits or every time your boss asks something of you, you always go and get a chocolate bar. But now you're recognizing it's nothing to do with the biscuits. It's nothing to do with the chocolate bar. It's actually a behavior that you followed that soothed you in that moment. So it's looking about bringing your conscious awareness to that moment. And that's going to look like things like box breathing, prolonged exhale is the most powerful one. So shorter inhale, prolonged exhale. Things like um, butterfly taps. So on your shoulders, tapping your butterfly, it's going to help stop you in that moment. Washing your hands, nervous system regulation. Again, if you've got your phone on you, could you look at your gratitude album? But then it's then inviting curiosity and be like, oh, okay, how do I feel in this moment? And I've tasked a couple of you this week with sitting with the emotional wheel and writing down what emotion it is that you're feeling that's then driving you to that behavior. And it's then starting to understand these different emotions, understand how you're feeling to then draw a correlation to your trigger and your behavior, which can then help you break break that cycle, break that behavior. So then it's writing that down and being like, okay, I feel aggravated and just leaving it. And then coming to that at the end of the day, because realistically, you're not gonna be able to journal throughout every single day in every single situation because you haven't got the time. So at the minute you've got the awareness and you're just eating. So how to help yourself do things that aren't eating, it's then now strengthening the capacity of things that are gonna soothe you. So like, could you do some breathing in that moment? And could you practice now like, a couple of minutes of breathing every day and that's just going to help strengthen that window of tolerance in these situations and it's then going to help you lean on your breath work in these moments and there are actual physiological changes that happen within the body when you do your breath work there are it does calm you down it does engage your parasympathetic nervous tone but it's like with everything you can't do it once and expect a miracle you've got to keep practicing it you've got to keep repeating that back to the brain <clears throat> Um, last one, how to limit conversations on diet culture and body image with family members. It's wild. It's wild that we all still talk about it. And you know, when you're doing this work and I hear this from literally probably 99% of my clients, when they do this work, they hear things through this different like process. They're like, wow, I never realized how much people talk about their weight, their shape, their food, body image, dieting. Unfortunately, now we're leading up to Christmas. There's going to be so much more talk about it. People will be dieting into Christmas to then give themselves permission to overeat at Christmas to start again New Year. It's a never ending cycle. But ultimately, it comes down to boundaries again, doesn't it? And boundaries are the toughest one to put in place because they are usually with those around us who are, who are closest to us. But you're now probably probably noticing that these conversations are of no benefit to you at all. They're of no benefit. So then again, there's three options. Change the conversation. They'll soon get bored talking about it. Acknowledge that you don't want to be involved in that conversation. Thank you very much for talking about this, but please exclude me from these conversations. 
or please exclude me from these conversations. I'm working on my food relationship. I'm working on my body image. And this for me is not of benefit. And boundaries are not selfish. They feel uncomfortable to put in because you've all been taught people pleasing. People pleasing is selfish. It's not cool. It's not sexy. You do things to please everybody else at the expense of your own needs. Boundaries support you. They protect you, but they protect those around you as well. So if you've got a boundary on talk about diet culture and body image, if you're struggling with your body image, you're then not going to project it outwardly, right? Because when you're projecting outwardly, like the question earlier, that could have that could have repercussions on people around you. And I know for years I projected my insecurities outwardly. I know I did. People didn't put in boundaries with me. But I don't know if I ever affected somebody by constantly talking about dieting, constantly talking about my weight and my shape and exercise and food avoidance. I probably did. So then it's like, okay, well, if I'm putting this boundary in place, I'm protecting them, but I'm also protecting myself so that then we're able to talk about things that are far greater than weight shape. But, you know, a lot of people find that then they haven't got anything to talk about, (laughs) shockingly. So then it's going into the exploration phase of like, okay, what else brings you joy in life? And when you recognize what brings you joy in life, you recognize the insignificance of body image, body weight and shape. And you realize that your soul purpose on this life is not to look a certain way but you feel more content calmer peaceful and it'll actually support those around you as well they're tough though they are tough to put in place and I completely I completely hold space for that okay so that's going to be it that's it cool questions again I absolutely love these questions I think they're phenomenal um if you have any more, drop them across, but have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you.